Am I on? Am I live? So, funny thing, years ago, Tom and I went to Africa together, and they thought it was the funniest thing because they would introduce us as Tom and and they loved it because they were like, oh, Tom, he's like the cat, he's big, and you're like the mouse. I'm like, okay, all right. Ha, 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 yeah, real funny. So, um, but yes, thank you, the car show. Um, I, I was asked yesterday, who started it? How did, and I'm like, I don't even know. So I was asking Tom about that, but boy, what a great event. Um, if you guys were here, I mean, it was actually pretty nice. I mean, it wasn't as hot as it was in years past. And how about the lid? I mean, that's, you know, and yeah. And the band, boy, they were really happy because they didn't have to perform in that microwave box that we had in the past, right? I mean, it's just a sweat box. So, but let me pray and we're going to get going. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for Darnisha and her team, our worship team. Love, love, love it. It brings us into a moment of, of worship. Thank you for your son. We thank you now as we go to your word, Lord, that you would speak through me. Push me aside, and uh, Lord, thank you for this time, and we just ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been studying uh, the no offense, okay? Were you here last week? Mark talked about forgiveness, right? And boy, what a story Liberty has to tell when he goes home, right? Did you hear about his harrowing drive to Carabas? Yeah, right? Johnny Doublebirds. I came up to Mark after, he goes, is that all you got out of my sermon? Was John, and I'm like, no, I mean, you know, I got a few more points. But we heard that, but then the kicker was, and they were coming from church, right? And our row was like, what? They were coming from, where do they go to church at? I want to go there. No, you don't want to go there, no. So, I'm just kidding. So, so he's been, we've been studying the no offense, and so one of the things over the last several years that I've just fallen in love with is uh, the parables of Jesus, so when you get into the Gospels, we talk about us not being offended. Jesus offended a whole lot of people. Okay, you don't have to go too far into the scriptures before um, he becomes offensive. Well, right at the beginning of Luke, in Luke chapter 4, okay, Jesus is coming to his home church in Nazareth. It's his synagogue. And he's asked to stand up and to read. So just a little background. So he's going to read from the prophet of Isaiah. Well, if we go back into the Old Testament, Isaiah, okay, what happened is Israel had some kings. First one was Saul. Second one was David. We know about David. David fought Goliath. Then a guy named Solomon, okay? This is under what was called the United Kingdom. Well, guess what? Solomon dies. Kingdom splits. You have Israel, okay, and then you have Judah. So Isaiah goes and speaks primarily to Judah from about 740 to 680 B.C., a lot of his message has to deal with, um, you've turned your back on God, and there's a lot of judgment. But also, Isaiah is one, when you look at what's called prophecies of this person to come, the Messiah, a lot, a lot of prophecies about this Messiah, especially in the latter half of the book. So, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think when Jesus stands up to read in Luke chapter 4, he was probably asked to read, and when you get asked to read, you can request what you get to read. So, guess what he reads? He reads about himself. So he stands up, if you put that up, Luke chapter 4, and here's what he says. Slowly. 
Okay, I'll read it. Oh, there we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the what? The good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim what? Liberty to the captives. Okay? Verse 19. And also, recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, these are all descriptives about the Messiah. And so if you know that text, Jesus reads this, hands the scroll back, and then he goes and sits down. And it says everybody was watching him. Now this is Jerry's paraphrase, but this is what he says. He goes, what I just read you, it's me. It's about me. And so they're sitting there and they're going, now isn't this Joseph's kid? Wasn't his dad like a subcontractor? He wasn't like a rabbi, was he? And now here's Jesus saying that he's, and so Jesus goes, you know, a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown. And when you look at the way they treated prophets in the Old Testament, a prophet usually came to your town when you were not following God. And so a prophet's job was to call out your sin and to call you back to God. Do people like it when you call out their sin? Are they excited? Are they like, oh, thank you. So, oh, thank you. We're so glad you're here. So Jesus uses a couple examples from the Old Testament. The first example, he says, you know what? You guys are faithless just like Israel was back in the Old Testament. And let me give you the first example is he says, do you know a guy named Elijah with a J? He goes, during the time of Elijah, he was battling a guy by the name of Ahab. Sound familiar? Ahab and Jezebel. Well, he shut up the heavens for three and a half years and it didn't rain. And so Jesus says, you know what? There was a lot of widows in that day. But Elijah didn't go to him. You know where he went? He went to a widow in Zarephath. Okay? And if I'm using the Mark map, all right, Jerusalem's here, all right? And he goes to Sidon, which is northwest, so he goes up here to a Gentile woman. And if you know the story, this woman only had enough to eat for her and her son. And Elijah says, if you give me enough to eat, your oil and your flour won't run out. Sound familiar? Okay. First example, Gentile woman. Second example is Naaman, captain of the Syrian army. So Jesus tells him, guess what? A lot of lepers in the land during Elisha with an S. He goes, but who did Elisha go? Naaman. So he uses two Old Testament examples, and who are they? Gentile woman and a Gentile man to a Jewish audience. How do you think they, how'd that, how'd that go over? Not very well. It says they took him out of the city to the cliff because they wanted to throw him off the cliff. And then it says Jesus, now this is where I was like, I would love to, I, I want to be there because it says he passed through their midst. I'm thinking, did he go like snap his fingers and they did the mannequin challenge and he's like, just backing out, but it says he passed through their midst. Here's their response to the beginning of his ministry. How do you think the rest of it? Now, this is predominantly the religious leaders. They surely didn't like that he said he was the Messiah. They didn't like the fact that he was going to heal, and he was going to heal people on the Sabbath. Oh. And then guess what? Who's he going to hang out with? Sinners. Man, they didn't like. In fact, right after this, he calls a guy to join him by the name of Levi. We call him Matthew. Now, what did Matthew, what was his job? He was a tax collector. Does anybody really like that? I mean, even today, do we like tax collectors? No. So he worked for the Romans, but he was what? He was Jewish. So he was a traitor. 
And Jesus says, come join me. And what does Matthew do? He throws a party. And guess who's at the party with Matthew? Other tax collectors. And what do you think the religious leaders did? What are you doing in there with them? And so time after time, we see through the Gospels, they're trying to dishonor Jesus. They're trying to humiliate him. We see in Luke chapter 7, they invite Jesus. Simon invites him to his house. He doesn't give him a kiss. He doesn't give him water. So he's publicly insulting him. And this is where the woman comes with the perfume and pours the perfume on his feet, wipes his hair, wipes his feet with her hair. And he says, you want to know why she's doing that? Because she's been forgiven much. And you want to know why? If you've been forgiven much, how much do you love? A lot. And Simon, you think you've been forgiven little, so guess how much you love? Not much at all. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And what do they do? (gasps) What? So they're after him there. Luke 10, the good Samaritan. How does that story go? Lawyer stands up to test Jesus. And he says, how do I inherit eternal life? He goes, well, what does the law say? He goes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, all you got to do is do that. And the guy goes, well, who's my neighbor? So Jesus doesn't answer him, but he tells him a story. How does the story go? A guy gets robbed, and three people pass him, right? First two is what? Priest, who is Jewish. A Levite, who is Jewish. Who's the third person? Samaritan. Did the Samaritan and the Jews get along? Not at all. Who's the hero of the story? How'd that go? Then how about Luke 15? Probably the most famous parable, the prodigal. Luke 15 starts off by saying the scribes and the Pharisees, boy, they were ticked because who was Jesus hanging out with again? Man, he's hanging out with these sinners. And so in between, we're going to be in Luke 14 today. It's a great parable that Luke tells and records of Jesus. It's called the great banquet. Just love how he does it. So here's what's going on. They're constantly trying to trap, watch, catch Jesus saying, you know, what? This guy's saying stuff. What's he saying about the law? Is he healing people on the Sabbath? Well, guess what? He's invited to one of the Pharisees' house, and it's on the Sabbath. And it just so happens that there's a person there with an illness. And he's in front of Jesus. What do you think is going to happen? Jesus turns to the religious leaders, and he goes, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, they didn't say anything. So he heals them, and then his response to them is he tells them, he goes, you know what, I know what you guys are thinking, but if your kid or if one of your animals fell in the well on a Sabbath, what would you do? Would you help him? Absolutely. And in fact, in Luke 13, I love how he words this because he's in a synagogue again on a Sabbath, and there's a woman that's been ill for 18 years, and he heals this woman what do you think the officials in the synagogue say? Yay, that's awesome. Man, that's great. They go, come back on another day and get healed. Come back on a Tuesday. And so Jesus in there, he says, you guys are hypocrites because it's not that I think you're taking care of. He goes, I know that you do this on the Sabbath. You value your animals more than you value this woman. And that's not how I work. And so... At this dinner that he's been invited to. Now, you guys are probably going to have maybe a gathering for Memorial Day or think about the gatherings you have with your family. Have you ever had a kid's table? Do you have a kid's table when you have something, right? Put the kids at the kid's table. So here's what's going on. Jesus has been invited. And he gets put at the kid's table. 
So he's here at the kids' table, and he's watching all of these leaders jostle for the high seat. Now, culturally, you have the host. He would be here. And then they want to be as close to the host as they can, you know. And you might remember the story from the Gospels in Matthew. John and James' mom comes to Jesus and says, I just got one request. He goes, well, what is it? When you come in your kingdom, can James and John sit where? At your right and left hand, the places of honor. So this is where these guys are fighting. They're fighting for the seats. I, I almost picture like musical chairs. Remember musical chairs, right? You got, you got five seats but six people, right? And the music's going. And then when it stops, what does everyone do? I mean, they're right running, diving to get the seat. So they're fighting for these seats, and Jesus is watching this. Now, he's the one that was invited. And he says, you know, when you get invited to a wedding reception or to a party, he goes, you, you really ought to take this seat. You want to know why? Because when the host recognizes that you should be up there with him, but you're down here, there, there's honor in that. They say, hey, what are you doing down there? Come up here. But if you start here and somebody higher than you comes, then they're going to make you get up out of what? And go where? To the kids' table. And he says, this is what you should do. Take this seat. He goes, because you know what? God has a little different economy. He goes, the first will be last, and last will be first. So then he starts in um, verse 12. Look at this. So then he's giving him some advice. So he says, he said to the man who invited him, okay, so this is one of the Pharisees. He goes, you know, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your, neighbor, or your rich neighbors because guess what? Can they repay you? Absolutely. They can return the favor. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Okay, now remember that, who he's telling them to invite. It's going to come back. And he says, if you do this, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Some of your versions probably say resurrection of the righteous. Okay. In order to have righteousness, it's got to be imputed to you from God. So there's, there's an assumption that there's faith in God. He's given you his righteousness. So in order for you to be at the resurrection of the righteous, are you following me? There's got to be faith. Okay. So Jesus says this. One of the guys responds here in 15. It says, when one of those who was there, reclining at the table, with him heard these things, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Okay, a little background. Isaiah talked a lot about judgment, I said, but he also talked about hope, and he talked about it through this guy that's going to come, the Messiah. So when you put up, um, put up Isaiah 25 for me, this talks about a banquet, okay? So this started about 700 years before Christ even walked this earth, this idea of, of a banquet. God's going to put a banquet on, uh, this lavish banquet on. And it starts here in Isaiah. It says, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people. Okay, I want you to see the wording. Not just for the Jewish people, but for who? All people, okay? For all people, a feast of what? What kind of food? Rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, which that's the best wine. Rich food full of marrow, that's T-bones. Aged wine, well refined. Verse 7. And he says, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the what? All the peoples. The veil that's spread over all the nations. Verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, okay? The reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord, keep going. For the Lord has, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Okay, a couple things to get out of this. Okay, one, Isaiah's talking about a banquet. And he's talking about on that day, so it's future. And he's talking about salvation from the Lord. He's talking about the Messiah. Banquet, future, Messiah. Are you with me? Okay, that's going to come into play. So this really started to catch and take on some steam over those 700 years. By the time Christ arrives, this is what's in the back of these religious leaders, their mind is, hey guys, won't it be great when we're all sitting together with the Messiah, enjoying a meal, that picture salvation, man, that'll be a great time. What they were expecting from Jesus is to say, absolutely, hear, hear, amen, to, con- to affirm them. Is that what happens? Man, he doesn't play by the rules. So he starts telling them a story, a parable. And he starts telling them a parable about a banquet. Now, put my picture up of the banquet. Okay. Some of you might have just had graduation parties. Yes? Right? Yeah. They're not off the payroll yet. Right? Not off the payroll yet. So when you have a party, let me ask you. What do you need to know in order to put on a party? What are some things? What do you need to know? How many people, is that important to know how many people are coming? You probably need to know that, don't you? Because if you're planning on 50 people showing up and 100 show up, there's, pro- there's a problem in there. Okay, if you're planning on 100 and 50 show up, now you've got a bunch of leftover food. reason I say this is because 2,000 years ago, when you think about it, the way the, way the culture worked is that Jesus is going to tell a story about a banquet. There's a lot of assumptions that go into that culturally is that with the banquet, they know invitations have already gone out and they've already been received. We, they already know who's coming. So in order to prepare for the food, if I know that 10 people are coming, that's going to be different how I prepare food if I know 50 is coming, right? Or would you agree with me? So 2,000 years ago, if I started to kill a calf, like happens in the prodigal son, that would feed 50, 60, 70 people, it's hard to reverse that process, isn't it? Once you, are you, once you start that process of preparing that meat, you're, it's, it's, you're on. So you can't, you can't stop. So this is what's happening, is that all of this is being prepared. And so go to, my, go to verse 16. So Jesus starts telling them a story. Okay, So he says, but he said to him, so Jesus is replying because the guy said, what? Oh, I can't wait till we're in the kingdom having a meal. That's going to be awesome. So he says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So let me ask you, it's a great banquet. Do you know who puts a great banquet on? A great man. Remember that. So a great man puts on a great banquet. And how many did he invite? Many. Okay. So he invites many. Okay. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to come to those who had been invited, come for everything's now ready. So here's what would happen. Those invitations, they already were sent out. People already accepted them. They know how many people are coming. So now, at the time that the meat and everything is ready, the party is ready to start, he sends out the servant to tell all those people that were invited. He says, time to party. And what happens? 
verse 18. But they all like began to what? Man, like, I know I told you I was coming, but I can't. They began to make excuses. So the first said to him what? I have bought a field and I must what? Okay, look at the order of that. I bought a field. Now I got to go out and see it. I just bought a field. I ain't got no clue where it's at. I don't have any clue uh, if there's water, if there's trees. I don't know, nothing, but I bought it. And you know what? It's dinner time. It's getting dark. And that's the best time to go look at land is at night. Right? Are you picking let, me, let me give you a modern version, okay? Modern version. I call home. You ready? So I'll let you eavesdrop on the phone. Remember, remember these? Remember these phones? I need the 80-foot cord, don't I? Got to put it on the wall and just walk all the way through the living room. So I call home. Hey, hey, hon, yeah. Hey, we're not going to be able to make that party tonight. No, no, it's not work. No, I know you just bought a dress. I know, I'm sorry. I know. But hey, listen, good news. I just bought a house. Yeah, well, I mean, I see the signs on the road, right? We, you know, the, we'll buy your house for cash or whatever. Yeah, so I just, I decided I, I'll do it. Well, you said you like surprises. Surprise, right? No, I, I have no idea where it's at. What kind of shape is it in? No clue. Haven't looked at it. Wow. We're, okay, were you screaming at the kids with that? Oh, that was for me. Wow, okay. Do you know Johnny Doublebirds? Okay. So, if you're on the other end of that call, how's that going? Hey, you need to call them up and tell them we can't make it. I just bought a house. What? You just did what? Yep. Have you, haven't looked at it. What kind of shape is it? I got no clue. But I bought it. So the audience would have known this is an awful, ridiculous excuse. But here's what this guy is saying to the host. I can't come to your party because what's more important? This land. My relationship with you? Eh. First excuse. All right. Second one. And then it says, and another said what? I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I got to go examine them. Okay, look at the order. Do you see the order? I just bought them. Now I got to go test them out. You know what he's saying? I got no clue if these ox are alive, if they're dead, if they can pull, if they're, if they're worth something or they're worth less. Let me give you another modern example. Ready? Another phone call. Call home again. Hey, hon. Yeah, we can't go to that party tonight. No, 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 it's not work. No, I just bought five used cars. I, I know. Surprise. I know it's great. Well, if I want, no, I do want, no, well, an excuse. No, listen, I got to go look at them. No, I have no idea if they run. No, I don't even know where they're at. I got to find them. But I bought, what is, it sounds like, is, it, is that your suitcase? Wait, what is that? Hello? So, okay, so how's that going to go? I just bought five used cars. I have no idea what shape they're in, if they're even run. So normally what would happen is that when you have animals that you're going to sell, 
it's a small village where we get out. So he would say, hey, you know what? Next week, I'm going to be out here in this field with my ox, and I'm going to be pulling, and you get to come out and what? Watch me, and then you also get to do what? Drive them yourself because if you got one ox that's stronger than the other ox, and this one just pulls, you're going to be going in circles. So you've got to be able to see him before you buy him. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So again, this person giving an excuse, what's he telling the host? I'd come to your party, but guess what? What's more important? My animals. And again, this is at night. I'm gonna, best time to test animals is at night. Do you know that? That's the best time. So that's the second excuse. Now here comes the next one. You ready? So he says, and then another, he said, I have married a wife, and therefore I can't come. Blame it on the wife, right? She just don't know. So this is past tense. And when you're doing a big banquet in a small village, you wouldn't have a wedding and a banquet at the same day. That just isn't going to happen. Because that wedding, that would take precedent. It would suck the oxygen out of the place. So this is past tense. He says, I have gotten married. Now, there's, there's some stipulation in the Old Testament where when people got married, they didn't have to go to war for like a year. But this isn't war. This is a party. And so this is kind of a crude way for this person to say, I'm married I got a wife, and we're busy, and I'll leave it at that. That's basically what he's saying. Now, that's a very rude, crude way, and that wouldn't have gone over 2,000 years ago culturally because they don't talk about women like that. So you've got, what's the recap? Party, invitations go out, they were accepted, and the servant goes out and says, hey, it's time to come in, and what happens? Can't make it. Now, let me ask you, if you threw a party and all of your friends at the last minute said they can't come, would you be, would you be upset? A little, would you be a little upset? You're like, what? where are you? I got to go buy dog food. You're like, what? What? Are you kidding me? I mean, right? I mean, pick, pick an excuse. So as the host, here's what happens. So the servant came to the host, came to the master, and he reported these things to him. So of course, like us, it says, then the master of the house became what? He became angry. Now, he could have turned it. It could have been some vengeance. But what does he do? He says, so he tells the servant, do what? Go out quickly to where? To the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in who? Boy, this sounds familiar. Wait a minute. Who is it just a little while ago that gave some advice on who to invite? Who was that? Didn't he give them some advice a little while ago? He says, who do you? Because these people, can they repay him? This is a total act of grace. And are they dressed for it? Probably not. I mean, have you ever gone to a party underdressed? They're all dressed up and you walk, you're like, I can't, I'm not going in there. So the servant compels them to come in. We see this. These are the outcasts of Israel. These are the people that Jesus, for the most part, hung out with. And he says, you go to them and you invite them to the party. So then it says in verse 20, and so the servant came back and he says, sir, what you have told me, I've done, but guess what? There's still room. So then what happens? So then the master of the host tells the servant, go out to where? Go to the highways and hedges. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Okay. So we see this. This verse here, he says, go out to the highways. We see this as him taking that invitation to the Gentiles. So most of us in here are not Jewish, we're Gentile. How you doing? 
That's us. So now, okay, there's the, there's the parable. It, it really ends here, and then Jesus turns his attention back in verse 24, back to the people who invited him, especially the one who invited him. Look at 24. He goes, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste what? Uh-oh. Some hard sayings? Okay, so let me, let me break this down for you. Ready? How did this start? You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And what does one guy say? Oh, it'll be great when we're at the messianic banquet, that banquet of salvation at the end times, eating with God. So guess what? Jesus replies by telling him, guess what he tells him? He starts describing the messianic banquet. Now let me ask you, who's the host of the messianic banquet? The Messiah. Remind me again who the Messiah is. Who? So Jesus has invited them to participate in the banquet. And what have they said? Thanks, but no thanks. In John's gospel, chapter 1, John says, you know what? Jesus came to his own, and his own didn't receive him especially the, really, the religious leaders. So here's what these guys are thinking. They're thinking, I'm going to be at that banquet. I'm going to be at that messianic banquet. But Jesus says, can you get to the banquet? Is, is salvation possible apart from Christ? Is it possible? Go like this. So they want that without accepting Jesus. And he says, that ain't going to happen. He goes, if you want to be there, you got to accept it what? Now. Are you with me? So these guys really thought, if we're not there, if we're not there at the party, the party isn't going to go on. Well, let me ask you, does God need us? Does he want us? Sure. And he's invited those, and his work predominantly was in Israel. I mean, Jesus came to the Jewish people, and for the most part, the religious leaders said what? We don't, we don't think you're the Messiah. So he's inviting them to this banquet, and they've rejected it. Now look at his ministry. Who has that message gone to in this parable? So they said, thanks, but no thanks. So now he goes to the very people that he has hung out with for most of his ministry. Who is that? The poor, the lame, the people who are poor in spirit. And what's, do they accept a lot of them do. There's that humility. Then, we don't see it in Jesus in, in his time, but we're going to see it when we get to the book of Acts. When Jesus is getting ready to ascend, what does he tell his disciples? He goes, you guys are going to be my eyewitnesses, aren't you? Where? Once the Holy Spirit comes upon, right? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? the ends of the earth, and who are those people? Gentiles. And who is that? That's us. How you doing? So that message we see, and so here's how, what a, what a great storyteller, but here at the end of 24, the curtain drops. What happens? Luke doesn't tell us, does he? All we know is that Jesus has described this banquet that they said that they're going to be at, but yet they have rejected him. 
here, but in order for them to be there, they've got to accept them here. What does is, what is Jesus say in a number of times in the Gospels? Matthew 7, he says, I'm the gate. Does this sound familiar? He goes, you got to enter by the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. How many are on it? Many. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and how many find it? Few. And then in John chapter 10, he says, I'm the door. I'm the door. And then probably one of the most famous in John 14, they're asking Jesus, where is he going? Thomas, right? He goes, I don't know where you're going. Where are you going? He goes, well, you know the way, Thomas. I'm the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's, the only way you get to the Father is through who? It's through me. And so here you have this, this beautiful story of, remember, that's how it started. They brought him here because they, they wanted to test him, watch him closely. And they were under the assumption that they're, everything's fine and that they're going to be there. And he goes, you're not. Because in order for you to be there, you've got to do what now? You've got to accept me now in order to be there. And so for us as a church, for most of us in here, we've, we've accepted that invitation. So what does that do for us? Is once we've accepted that, now, we are those change agents, that unique agent for God, right? Think about it. Were you here last week? Were you here last week? What did we do last week? We had groups of people come in. What was that? Going on mission trips, right? Yes? Or were you here? Are you still up? Okay. Yes. Why are, why are we doing that? Because parents need a break. I mean, they're kids. I mean, it's a couple weeks into summer and you need to, you know, take them for a week. But you know we're going to have hundreds of kids on this campus over the next couple of weeks for Kidapalooza. And you know what? Many of those kids are going to put their faith in Christ for what? The first time. Because has Jesus changed our lives? He has, hasn't he? So now the ones who are changed, now what do we do? Like the servant, what did he do? He went out and he came back and he said, there's still more what? Do you ever hear Mark say, hey, how many people go to your church? What does he say? Not enough. Not enough. So this is why I'm sporting the mission merch. This is why we do this because we have had, we've personally had our lives changed. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus, what he took for us, they dishonored him, humiliated him, and, and, and eventually he was humiliated by having to hang on a cross and die a criminal's death. For who? For us. Does he need us? No, but does he want us? Yeah, that's why around here, you keep hearing this, it's not that we have to, but we what? We get to. God has invited us in, hasn't he? What an incredible gift. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. Um, what your son accomplished on the cross, there's, there's no way that we could ever, we don't deserve it. I mean, we've, we've heard Mark talk about that. We don't want what we deserve. We can't repay it. And we, we certainly can't earn it. It's all about grace. And we see that here in this story. You have extended that offer of grace uh, during your life and your ministry here on earth, but also uh, we have received that, many of us. And so we are those agents of grace that we extend to our community, to our family, to our friends. And for those that have not received that invitation yet, I, I implore you, um, we'll be up front. 
come talk to me because that offer of grace still extends. It's still, it's still good. So we are thankful for all that you have done in our lives and we pray, Lord, you help us to continue to be those agents of change for you. We love you and thank you for all you've done. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you for today. You guys have a great weekend. Be safe and we will see you back next weekend. Have a great day. God bless.